You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 339. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Bergmann. See ya! Hello, hey son, hey son. I mean, <laughs> Hello. Hey. Where now, of course, we are missing Andras again. Yes, we're I missing an Andras. He's working too much. He's traveling too much. He's hard working, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Lucky that we can keep the shop open here while he is away. And and I know it's very exhausting for him, so I'm not at all oh, envious. Yes. We're not complaining at all. No, 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 no. It, we just miss him. Tough. Yeah, sure. Do you have? Do you still have a heat wave in Germany? Yes, uh, it rained yesterday, but that's about it. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Heat is still back. Yeah. <laughs> what, what temperature do you got? Um, I think we got about thirty-ish. <laughs> okay. But it's still like it's not as hot as it was last week, where it was like forty degrees. Yeah. But it's very muggy, so like even thirty degrees in this muggy weather is is just so disgusting. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, we actually have uh, pretty nice weather. <laughs> we have <laughs> around twenty nine thirty as well, but it's a bit windy, and uh, we have had it for a couple of days. Sometimes there's a few clouds, so it's not too bad actually. It's like being on a holiday. It's like summer in Sweden. <laughs> it's like summer in Sweden. <laughs> I could have known. It's funny that. <laughs> yes, right. Okay, I'm sure this is um, very interesting information for everybody. But let's <laughs> yeah, we should uh, move continue on. talking about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> talk about the weather. Let's talk about the show. We got uh, some listener feedback, uh, a follow up about mindfulness that we talked about last mm -hmm. week. So, longtime patron Icenia, and I think that's how you pronounce it, but I don't know. So, uh, my apologies. So you my, know what to do, send it in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Send it in at info at the ESP.eu and we can play your voice saying it loud and clear on the show next week if you want to. But you don't have to. But Isenia sent us a message regarding the mindfulness thing and she linked to a few resources that point out some of the issues with mindfulness. I think I think we skimmed over some of that mm -hmm. a little bit too fast last mm -hmm. week so we could we could be clearer yes <laughs> to begin with we actually didn't even try to define what mindfulness is so here is a definition from a link that Isenia sent us quote mindfulness practice refers to a set of activities and exercises that concentrate on individuals mind on experience the present moment and excluding the stream of diverse thoughts and mind wandering that happens normally Mindfulness practice usually involves some form of meditation with or without a spiritual locus. Its goal is to create and maintain a non-judgmental and non-reactive state of awareness. End quote. So that sounds a little bit uh, pretentious, but uh, <laughs> it, it still describes it. It doesn't sound too harmful. And it can be positive for some people, I'm sure of it. But I think... But there are issues, and we were a little, un little bit unclear about that last yes. week. And you, you can you can divide the issues with mindfulness into two parts, if you want to. So the first one, and I think we got that sort of right last week, is that it doesn't do anything to address the actual problem that you're having. 
like the stress that students feel at the school, like like we were talking about last week, sitting down and living in the moment, trying to free yourself from the problem, it will not actually remove any of the underlying the reasons for the stress. Maybe it can help you deal with that stress, and that's fine if it does, but it doesn't change the fact that you're being asked to do more than you can handle. So why don't we address that as well, mm-hmm. or, or more? In a way, it's putting the burden on the victim, I think. Mm, yeah. You you have a terrible situation, but then you're supposed to go away and do this mindfulness, and then you can cope with it. Well, let's address the terrible situation first. Yeah, uh, that, broken think... leg. Have you tried mindfulness? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I no, haven't, no. <laughs> but it was very popular. I don't know how much. Uh, probably it's popular still, but it is wh- popular, while I was working yeah. at the, uh, a big company a couple of years ago, or four or five years ago, it was uh, rather big, and it was something that people did on site at the company but on spare time so that's that's about that it doesn't actually solve that problem the problem that you have with your stressful situation the second thing is that some research has found that mindfulness can actually be harmful for at least for some people there's a psychology study from 2009 that found that and i quote side effects of mindfulness include reports of depersonalization feeling detached from one's mental processes or body, psychosis, loss of contact with reality, delusions, hallucinations, and disorganized speech, feelings of anxiety, an increased risk of seizures, loss of appetite, and insomnia. That was actually sort of new to me, that Mm -hmm. you could have that many different harmful side effects of mindfulness. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was another psychologist who wrote the following, quote, Some people use mindfulness strategies to avoid critical thinking tasks. Well, we don't want that, right? <laughs> um, the quote goes on, I've worked with clients who, instead of rationally thinking through a career challenge or an ethical dilemma, prefer to disconnect from their challenges and to retreat into a meditative mindset, end quote. So you use mindfulness to cope, but that also doesn't give you an incentive to actually deal with the problem. Instead, you hide the problem. So in short, as we said last week, it's not strange that the research from the BMJ that we talked about found that school-based mindfulness training did not provide any benefits compared to uh, teaching as usual. So thank you very much again for the feedback. It gave me an opportunity to dig a little deeper into mindfulness, and now I am a little bit wiser. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're very, of course very welcome to send in uh, comments and questions to info at the esp.eu. We read everything, even things that we don't mention in the show. We we always read them and we appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, you were talking about being a bit wiser, and I want to talk about someone who was really wise. And that is Piero Angela. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I don't have Andres here. <laughs> Piero Angela is what I. But I'm Swedish, so. but this is, it's an Italian name, so that's my best fake Italian. Okay. Uh, yeah, otherwise we'll just have to wait until next week so that Andres can correct me or our Italian listeners. Yeah. But um, pronunciation aside, he died on the 13th of August. So for today's recording, three days ago, he was 93 years old. And for those who don't know him, he was a TV presenter, a science communicator, an author. He wrote 33 books, 
and was very often compared to Sir David Attenborough mm -hmm. and basically explained the world to Italian-speaking people. He also was a skeptic yes. and can basically be called Italian TV royalty because of how profound and active he was. Yeah. So, of course, we were sad to hear about his death. And yeah, just thank you for being awesome and educating the world, Piero Angela. He was also very much involved in creating SHICAP, the Italian Skeptics Organization. On Wikipedia, it says, in 1989, Angela was one of the founders of SHICAP, a scientific committee to promote scientific education and critical thinking and devoted to verification of allegedly scientific disciplines such as parapsychology, end quote. So, yes, he was very important for the Italian skeptics and yes. for European skeptics and for the Italian people. Yeah. Mm, so, yeah, we can only say it was, I mean, 93 is, a, what they say, a good run. So, uh, yeah, yeah. A biblical so age. It was, it's, <laughs> It's some Choose sort of consolation, of course, that he did live an active and long life. Yes. And now I want to hear, I think, about someone who might have led a mm -hmm. long life. I don't know. We <laughs> will hear. We should go over to Twish. Yes, Twish. This week in Skeptical History... I am Jora Andras for tonight. <laughs> Hello, Andras. <laughs> and I will talk about, of course, a Pope. So don't get confused now. This is not the next segment. This is an older Pope. This is a Pope from uh, many hundreds of years ago. <laughs> Because on 18th of August, so Thursday, the, the week of our recording, mm -hmm. in 1503, the Pope died. And the Pope in question was Alexander VI. And to put it in perspective, he was elected Pope in 1492. And it was just a couple of months before Columbus landed in America. And I will come back to why that is relevant for this. So it's a long time ago. We didn't, we poor uneducated Europeans didn't even know about America yet. But we were about to find out. Yeah, it's crazy right? to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But as you might expect, uh, the papacy in the 1400s was not very pious and uh, not a very ethical organization. It was very much like any other country with a territory. They were involved in wars and conquests, just like many others. The Pope, of course, was the Pope, but also very much a regent like any other, with the only plus that he was being God's representative on earth, or at least that's what he said, and... Probably believed, maybe believed, we don't know. So it wasn't strange at the time that the papacy attracted a lot of ambitious men who looked to make a good career for themselves. And one such person was Rodrigo de Borja, or something to that effect. He was born in Valencia, in what is now, of course, Spain. And he was quite a character, apparently. Rodrigo, very ambitious. He used his influence via his relatives, He had relatives in high places, and he was appointed cardinal already at the tender age of 25. He was very skilled when it came to making alliances and keeping uh, good relations with whomever was the pope at the moment or other influential people. He wanted very much to be the pope himself, but his nationality was against him, as most of the other cardinals were Italian and they were more likely to select one of them within their own group. 
So at first he couldn't become the Pope, so instead he focused on getting appointed to a lot of different lucrative positions within the church. And after a couple of decades, he was probably the wealthiest cardinal of them all. He served as cardinal under five different popes before finally becoming elected as Pope himself. And he took the name Alexander VI. And as I said, it was in 1492. And he was after one of the more expensive campaigns that has been known to become elected Pope, with alleged buying of votes, both by Rodrigo himself, (laughs) as well as the competition. It was basically up for the highest bidder and the people who were more influential to become the Pope at the time. He was also notable because of his many affairs with women, Ooh. And he was at one point... <laughs> not what being... I expected. <laughs> no, that's not what you think of for, for Pope... Ma- that's not really Pope material, is nah. it? <laughs> <laughs> at one point, he was actually being accused of having participated in an orgy. But that was never <laughs> proven. Uh, he did admit ha- he had been to what he called a party, but he hadn't seen any orgy. <laughs> no, just, just a party. And then all of a sudden, you know... <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, everybody was naked. I don't know. <laughs> It never. It could have also become, since I said before, the competition to become Pope was pretty harsh. So, so this could have been a false rumor planted mm-hmm. by somebody else. We don't know. But he is on the Wikipedia's entry called List of Sexually Active Popes. Ooh. <laughs> yes, there is such a page on Wikipedia. And it's quite long as well. <laughs> And according to that, he fathered between seven and ten children. Oof. (laughs) And he recognized many of them openly as well. And he put them in strategic positions within the church because that was good to have your relatives in, you know, high up in the organization. He had become cardinal that same way himself once upon a time. He had many different lovers. One of his lovers was a 15-year-old girl. So, Ooh. a little bit pedophile warning mm-hmm. here. She was called Giulia Farnese or Giulia La Bella because she was... Uh, so beautiful, yeah. She became his mistress just a few months after he himself had hosted her wedding to another guy. Ooh. So, uh, this is how the, the papacy worked back then. This is was after he became the Pope. So, he was the Pope <laughs> at the time. Not what we really think of as the Holy See at the moment. <laughs> Right, so he was a colorful pope, actually very popular and uh, remembered for a lot of things. But what was the link to Columbus? Well, Pope Alexander VI had a very direct link to actually the current pope, to Frankie's current issue with Canada and the so-called 60s scoop that we have talked so much about Mm. lately. If we have new listeners, I will not go through that again. We talked about it at length last week's episode, uh, 338, 338. Please look that up if you missed it. But so Pope Alexander VI was the pope that issued several of those aptly called bulls, so a lot of bull in the Vatican already back on the back in the day. And those bulls, of course, these are, these are papers or decrees, if you will, that gave in principle permission for Europeans, for Spain specifically, I think, but uh, there were more than one bull. They gave them permission to conquer, exploit and enslave the newly discovered world in the West, what we now call the Americas or North America and South America. 
And uh, these bulls have never been retracted by the church. So over 500 years later, they are still sort of legit. And uh, the indigenous groups in Canada has several times asked Francis to retract them or to distance himself from them as a symbolic gesture, if nothing else. But um, as we all know, that hasn't happened. And to my knowledge, Frankie has not even commented on that request in public. So that will give us a nice segue over to the next segment, which is also (laughs) about a pope, the new pope, the Frankie (laughs) himself. But in the meanwhile, we remember that uh, one of the people who laid the, the foundation to the 60s scoop scandal was Pope Alexander VI, and he died this week in 1503. That was 519 years ago. Thank you, Pontus. <laughs> so yeah, let's just jump from one pope to another and maybe poke the current one. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry I'm so fixated about popes. Uh, <laughs> maybe somebody can give me some sort of analysis one time, explain it to me, I don't know, but I, it's rather fascinating to me. <laughs> so I know I mentioned just now the 60s scoop But, as I said, we also talked about it quite a lot last week. So I wanted to bring up another of Frankie's problems. We reported back in episode 322, that was in April, that the Archdiocese of Cologne is in deep trouble. Annika, (laughs) close to you, your neighborhood, right? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they are still in trouble, and it's not getting better. So a brief recap is that Cardinal Rainer Maria Wölki, is that roughly yes, that's, correct? Yes, that's really good. Good. <laughs> he is the current Archbishop of Cologne. He has been accused of covering up sex abuse. Well, him and a lot of other people, I believe. In addition to that, the previous Archbishop before him approved payments of over a million euro to cover the gambling debt and taxes of a clergyman in that archdiocese. And it turned out that that money came from a fund created to compensate sex abuse victims. So we've mentioned all of this before, but it's still a scandal, and that's the background. Last year, Wölki asked forgiveness to the Pope and sent his resignation to Frankie. But as we also have mentioned before, Frankie never replied to that resignation. (laughs) He just ignored it. And that is the problem, really. It's one of the problems here, but that's what Frankie is doing really wrong here. Frankie was really wrong. We're we're mixing all the segments today. So Frankie never replied to that resignation. So Völki reinstated himself as Archbishop this March because somebody had to do the job, right? But he's still doing a very lousy job. So um, they really should find another guy to do it. It now turns out that he has probably spent about a million euro more. Forget about the old million euro. This, these, these are new million euros. Not into investigating the sex abuse cases themselves, but in consulting a PR company on how to protect the reputation of the diocese and himself. And one advice from these uh, PR guys was that Völki should try to get the advisory board of victims of sexual abuse on his side in the dispute by means of, quote, emotions, credibility and authenticity, end (laughs) quote. So this has now come out and um, it is really a scandal. People are very upset about this. Yeah, understandably so. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's spending all the energy in the wrong places. 
So the leader of this advisory board, a guy called Karl Hauke, he was outraged and he called for he called for a sort of general strike in the diocese as a protest because he's working in the diocese himself. He's sort of on the same side, but now they're turning against him. And he said, quote, the church, the perpetrator organization, is unable to sort out its own crimes. Perpetrators, lawyers, and judges come from the same house. It just doesn't work, end quote. And I fully agree. I mean, you can't be the, the prosecution, the defense, and the judge in one organization. You have to have some sort of separation of, of things here. Otherwise, it will never work. On 15th of August, 50 prominent officials of the archdiocese issued a statement to distancing themselves from Völki. And they said, quote, We are outraged by the recent revelations about the cardinals and his staff's communication strategy. With the PR strategies becoming known, Cardinal Völki has used up all his last trust, end quote. And uh, also said, the crisis in the archdiocese has now, quote, reached an unimaginable low point, end quote. So, as always in the Catholic Church, Völki is obviously more concerned about his reputation, the reputation of the church, than making sure to get to the bottom of any scandal at all. And to help innocent victims as well. Yeah. (laughs) And by not doing anything to fix this problem in Cologne, Frankie is demonstrating that he either agrees with the policies or maybe he's just a total failure as a leader of the church. Yeah, that he doesn't care. (laughs) Yes, either he doesn't care or he agrees. Or he doesn't feel that he can do anything about it. He's just looking the other way, hoping it goes away. And and he knows at least as much as we do about this, frankly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he probably knows a lot more, but we don't mm-hmm. know that. But at least as much as we know. And he doesn't do anything about it. So in this regard, no matter of how popular Frank is, that shows that he is a failed pope. Yeah. Or leader in general. Yes. And that's why he receives this week's prize for being really wrong, right? No, I'm joking. I don't know about that. That's not the same. Could be, could be, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but first, thank you, Pontus, for, for poking Verki in the Pope. Lots of popes this week, yes. <laughs> and with that, I think we should go over to the news. I'm going to talk about vaccination and uh, diseases, but not the one that we've talked about for three years now. I'm going to talk about polio because there has been discovered live polio viruses in London, in the sewage water. And actually, it's also been found in New York. Same thing. So they've found type 2 polio virus in sewage samples taken in North London. And the UK Health Security Agency says this on their website. This suggests that the virus is now spreading between people. This has probably happened because vaccine uptake for the infant and toddler vaccinations in London is lower than it should be. By giving an extra polio vaccine dose, which is what they suggest now, we aim to boost each child's protection, starting with the the areas of London where the virus has been detected, blah, blah, blah. So... They are now going out. And the problem here is there are two types of uh, polio vaccines, generally. There are live polio viruses, which have been weakened, and you use that as a a vaccine. 
that virus should not give any symptoms, but it builds your immune system. It's easier to administrate because you don't have to inject it. It is uh, drops, I think. You take it orally. So it's been used a lot in big areas of, of the world. However, not in the UK. In the UK, you do the injections, and the injections are done with a dead virus, which cannot spread. Because the problem with the live thing is, even if it's harmless, it can still spread. In, in very, very rare cases, that virus mutates and becomes active again. So you try to avoid it, but in many areas of the world, it's the only option. And mm -hmm. it has worked uh, in general uh, very well. But what's happening now is that since this kind of virus is now fluctuating in London and also apparently in New York, that means that people who have traveled across the world have spread this virus here, which should be harmless, really. But what should have happened is that the population in London should have been so well protected that they, their immune system should have killed off this mild virus, but it hasn't done that, which means that we are not vaccinating enough. Yeah. We, we've sort of grown complacent, right? Because we think polio, it's, it's not that long ago, though, but for us, it's uh, that's something in the, of the past, in the yeah. 40s and the 50s, and now we've beat that problem. This shows that we haven't. Yeah. And the terrible thing would be if polio again, let's say this virus mutates and becomes dangerous and we don't have the immunity that we should have, then polio is back. Yeah, and polio is a horrible disease. It is. We've all seen these pictures of the iron lungs, like that the people have, some people have had to live all their lives in these things, mm -hmm. 50 years or more, because you get it as a child very often. And then you've been put in this iron lung and you just lie there for the rest of your life. It's terrible. And uh, the thing is, people, take your vaccines. Take your vaccines. We don't want this back. And it's especially worrying that this has been detected not just in London, but also in New York. That means it can have happened in other places as well. Mm -hmm, exactly. Oh. Yeah, with this bummer of, of a news item, I want to give you more bad news, of course. Thank you. Because I want to talk about a massive die-off of fish in the Oder River, which is in Czech Republic, Poland and Germany, um, mm. the river. And they found high levels of salinity, but no mercury in the fish and in the river. So it's still a mystery what killed tons of fish in Central Europe. Samples have been taken in Poland and Germany and they, as I said, showed high levels of salt. But that alone is not enough explanation for the massive die-off we're talking about. Hmm. Poland State Veterinary Authority tested seven species of dead fish and they could rule out mercury. They're still waiting for results of other substances. And as I already said, the Oder River runs from Czechia to Poland and Germany and then flows into the Baltic Sea. Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki, I hope I pronounced that right, yes, <laughs> he thinks it could be caused by a huge amount of chemical waste that got dumped into the river to intentionally harm Poland. Ah, uh, so he's building a conspiracy theory. Yes, and I'm skeptical ah, yeah, yeah. about that, of course. <laughs> this is not only hitting Poland. It's this not is hitting... only about you, Exactly, guys. it's not about Poland only. Yeah, right. And I also don't think someone would, I don't know, it might be that someone would intentionally do that, but 
I think it was more a convenient thing. Maybe if, if someone did anything or caused anything, it could also be completely different reason. We don't know yet. That's no. what it means. We don't know yet. That's what it means to be a skeptic. Exactly. You sometimes <laughs> have to stop and say, we don't know yet. We don't know. We're still investigating, so don't draw your conclusions yeah. too quick. Exactly. And what they're saying in Germany is that you shouldn't fish or drink water out of the river right now and probably not for a long time um, because this will take a long time to recover. It hit an ecosystem that has great ecological value and according to the mayor of Schwedt, who is called Ann-Kathrin Hoppe, that's in Schwedt is in Germany, She said, quote, this is an environmental catastrophe of unprecedented scale, end quote. Of course, she means the region, but yes, it's pretty yeah. devastating. But it's strange that they don't know what it really yeah, is. So they've exactly. ruled out mercury. That they sounds ruled out mercury. Um, and the salinity you... in itself is bad, but it's not enough to kill that many fish because some mm. of them apparently would be okay <laughs> in, yeah. in more salty water. So, yeah. But couldn't it yeah. be some sort of disease then? It could be a disease. Like, we don't know. <laughs> no, we don't know. Right. So don't speculate, Pontus. Exactly. <laughs> we don't know. But of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> but of course you're curi you get curious. Yes. Wow. We hope that they found what it is. And if anybody did something bad, I hope they get them. Yes. Yeah. It could be an accident, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, as you said, maybe just convenient. Somebody has something that they want to get rid of yeah, and they exactly. do it on a dark night. But this it has to be a lot, a big quantity yes. since it's affecting such a big area. Yeah, of the river, like the whole river, basically. <laughs> right. Okay. Meanwhile, in Sweden, we may have fish, but we also are in the middle of a general election campaign Ooh. at the moment. Yeah, the general election day is 11th of September, so it's three weeks from now, mm -hmm. while I'm actually at European Skeptics Congress in Vienna. So I have to put my vote in, in advance. So. Oui. <laughs> but it's just a reminder, people, if you want to meet us, come to Vienna in 9th to 11th of September and meet us there at the European Skeptics Congress. There are still tickets for sale. So, But I digress. Uh, <laughs> we talk about the general election, right? Of course, since it's close to the election, the party leaders here in Sweden are giving speeches and making promises all over the place. And of course, they all care more for how things sound than for what actually is good policy, science, or even logical. One of the bigger topics for this election is crime, and especially violent crimes. So it's true that there has been an increase of gang-related shootings in Sweden, which is, I mean, if you go back a little, 10 years or so, it was almost unheard of. And uh, that makes the news, of course. So now the parties are competing to be the toughest on crime to win the election. But one especially ridiculous statement mm -hmm. came from the leader of the Sweden Democrats the other day. Unfortunately, this requires a little bit of a Swedish lesson. I, uh, please bear with me. In Sweden, the official translation of the entity in charge of the prisons, mm -hmm. which is important for this story, is the Swedish Prison and Probation Service. Mm -hmm. end quote. That, that makes sense. In actuality, if you take the Swedish words and make a more literal translation, the translation would be more something like 
the crime care agency, <laughs> which sounds a bit silly in English, I do, but it's accepted in, in Sweden. So it, in Swedish, it's kriminalvården, mm-hmm. if, somebody, if somebody wants to <laughs> take notes. <laughs> so kriminal, of course, means criminal. That's very easy. Vården, the last part of that word, is the same word we use for care, as in health care. Mm-hmm. Maybe it sounds silly to a foreigner, but it's implied in the name that this agency should care for criminals in the sense of rehabilitate them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, take care of the prisoners. Not pamper them, but, but take care of them in, in appropriate yeah. ways. But this does not sit well with the Sweden Democrats. Their new idea is that this agency should be renamed to, and hang on, the Agency of Punishment. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that sounds biblical, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, it's very catchy to some people, <laughs> I believe. So this guy, his name is Jimmy Jimmy Okeson, and he's the leader of the Sweden Democrats. And he said the purpose of the agency should be to lock up, punish, and keep criminals away from honest, law-abiding people. He also said. Quote, we cannot allow the seven parties, and he means the other seven parties. We have a lot of parties in Sweden. So we cannot allow this, the seven parties that for decades have been destroying our country, sabotaging for the Swedish people, crumbling our small common place in the world, our beloved safe home here on earth. So you can hear what kind of comp- uh, company, you can hear what kind of party he's leading. It is one of these populist, uh, nationalistic parties. Mm-hmm. Sweden is better than anything else. And uh, it's sort of implied in everything he says that all the criminals that he's talking about, none of them are Swedish, of course. Of course. No, no, they're all foreigners, which is, of course, not true. I mean, some of them are foreigners. He also didn't, un- I, like, didn't understand elementary like very basic facts about um, criminal psychology because well if people can never be rehabilitated and have to be locked up from society like why bother no and you're absolutely you're getting ahead of me it's exactly my point here Because that is the skeptical angle. Because before now, this was just Pontus being mad at the (laughs) ultra-nationalistic nutjobs in Sweden. And that's not the skeptical podcast. But the thing is that regardless of what you think about criminals or this issue, science clearly shows that punishing people or changing punishment to be tougher does not prevent crime. Mm -hmm. And I assume that is what we want, right? We don't, the point is not with crime is not that we want to punish people afterwards. We want to prevent them from being criminals in the first place. Yeah. It's it's easy to think that if we make the punishments harder, that deters people from becoming criminals. But that's not the way it works. Uh, One good resource to look at uh, that I found, if you want to look at the science, is to go to the US Department of Justice. Because they have a short information text, but they have all the links to all the actual research at the bottom as well. So you can check that they, they are actually right. And they, they can see, read in black and white, what is a good deterrence for criminals. So it turns out that the top factor is not to punish people harder. The top factor is to make sure that they get caught or to at least create the feeling among criminals that they will get caught. Because if you think you will get caught, then you won't do it. Mm -hmm. If you, let's say you want to do something really bad and you're looking at eight years of potential prison. And if they raise that level to 10 years, 
That doesn't change your decision to commit the crime. What the decision is guided by is, do I think I'm going to get caught or not? And if you think you're not going to get caught, then you might risk it. What's eight or ten years? There's no difference. Anyway, you can also read on this website that sending people to jail does not deter them from committing future crimes. So sending people to jail, teaching them a lesson, if you will put them away for three years and then let them out again, that doesn't prevent them from doing a new crime. What does help, though, is psychotherapy and teaching empathy. (laughs) Well, okay, that that may be true. I can't see that on this text, but I believe Mm, it. I'm I'm referring to Lydia Benecke, who who talked at Ah, length about that. (laughs) Yes. Okay, very good. So if we ever get her on the show, (laughs) she will tell us more about that. She is on our list. Yes, she is. (laughs) (laughs) I think she will be in Vienna, by the way. Um, I think so, yeah. Oh, well, let's corner her mm-hmm. there. Anyway, sideways. <laughs> oh, no, now she's warned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to round it off, e- even the death penalty does not deter criminals or potential criminals. Of course, we don't have the death penalty here in Sweden, but it's more relevant in the US mm-hmm. where this is from. But as usual, the scientific truth about anything is rarely a good way to win general elections. So instead, we are stuck with this kind of idiocy. Call it the... What did I say? The agency of punishment yes. or something like that. Come on. <laughs> Sounds so that, that's, biblical. <laughs> that's so childish, really. Yes. So, biblical and childish. Both. But but the problem is, and what really bugs me, mm-hmm. is that this will resonate with people. Yes. Some people will say, yes, yes, yes tough on crime, tough mm-hmm. on crime. As if and that we'll would just, help, yeah. No, we will just fill the jails with a lot of people who are then extremely mad when they get mm-hmm. out and uh, think that the society has fail them and we will have yeah, failed which them. is true in that regard yes better to re- rehabilitate them or even better to deter them from the beginning yeah and to make education more accessible to make a lot of things more accessible yeah so from the agency of punishment i think i want to go over to france au revoir mm-hmm. to homeopathy is is ah. happening there Très bien. Yeah, très bien. <laughs> because the full reimbursement of homeopathy ended about a year ago there, after being yeah. reduced to 15% in 2020, and because the French manufacturers of homeopathy were losing a lot of money, they now have decided to react. The company Veleda, I don't know how to pronounce them in French, so I pronounce them German. <laughs> They are thinking about shutting down their pharmaceutical line, quote, air quotes, of course, pharmaceutical, and will survive purely on their cosmetic products like um, deodorants and other oils and stuff. This is fantastic news. Veleda is the only company that I know of that exports homeopathy to Sweden. Mm -hmm. In Sweden, homeopathy is very, very small. But uh, yeah... Good yeah. And Boron closed its site in Montrichard end of last year. Great. So it is in a on a steep decline in France. And interestingly enough, Edzard Ernst just spent some time in France and he was putting his feelers out to see if the French people missed homeopathy. And he deducted that they seem to be okay with it. They don't seem to miss homeopathy. <laughs> Was this a scientific study, no, though, or was, did he just ask a couple of friends? Uh, Edzard Ernst and anecdotal evidence. <laughs> okay, so, okay, good. So, yes, good. like we, we didn't do a study or there have, there have been no empirical... More research exactly, is needed. Exactly, exactly. Yes. 
But it seems to be all right. Like there are not bi no big protests on the streets to give homeopathy back to the people. <laughs> yeah, that's good news, I guess. <laughs> It is good news. And what we know of uh, French people is that if they want something, they go to the streets yeah, and they, exactly. they make their voices heard. <laughs> and if they don't miss their homeopathy, that's mm -hmm. good. So did you know, did you say how many, how much it had declined, the sales of homeopathy? So all in all, they lost 60% of their sales. Also 13 million euros for their section of Villeda in France and yeah oh, that great. means I don't want to be I don't want to gloat too much but money lost for homeopath is good money <laughs> but I have no problem in gloating I think <laughs> spending 13 million euros less for sugar pills that don't do anything yeah, is a good thing exactly so, yeah could be used yeah. for awesome other things perfect yeah that rounds up our new section And with that, we will find out who has been really wrong, if it was the Pope or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, it's not the Pope. I just want to talk to you about, uh, not about Jesus, <laughs> or Lord and Savior. Okay. I want to talk to you about anthroposophy. Because these people thought they would be more accepted in mainstream society because of COVID denialism. But no, they are not. Okay. And they're still readily criticized by awesome people like André Sebastiani or Oliver Rautenberg, who we've mentioned on the show a few times. And now the Waldorf Schulenbund, an association of Steiner schools, have decided to take Oliver Rautenberg to court. Ah. They also want to establish seats at universities to academize anthroposophical medicine, <laughs> and air quotes. Oh. And they were also successful with the World Health Organization, who were interested in their work. So that's a bit like... Of course mm -hmm. they were. Bloody WHO. They always... They always are. Like, they do so much good things in the world, and yes. then they always can't help flirting with yes. alternative exactly. medicine. Exactly. Stupid. That, that already would be a really wrong award in itself. <laughs> yeah. But for teaching racist and blatantly wrong materials, for working with medicine that is none, and for trying to defame Oliver Rautenberg, German anthroposophers receive this week's prize for being really wrong. Good. Well deserved. <laughs> well deserved. Did I tell you we got rid of them here in Sweden? But that's good. Yeah, I, I get, I, I, well, in a way. I mean, like, not getting rid as in killing, but getting rid as in, like... No, no, no. <laughs> that's not good, of no, course. we didn't. We Don't didn't. endorse we that. Did. No, it, this was in 2019, the um, one and only uh, mm -hmm. anthroposophic uh, hospital called Vidar Clinic, and we mm -hmm. talked about it on the show, but it was a long time ago. They had to close because the government changed the rules they had an exception so they could as long as they provided real medicine at the same time they could also sell their anthroposophic medicine Oof. to the same patients so that was an exception that was existing but uh, when that disappeared the hospital as well mm -hmm. disappeared good mm. on them <laughs> So now it's only... A few, I, I know there's a few private people who, who imports yeah. by mail, things like that. But it's small. They always small. pop it's up small. like street vendors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, we, we still have Steiner yeah. schools. And those are also... I think I've mentioned that as well a couple of mm -hmm. times on the show. Those are sometimes uh, in the news because they do yeah, stupid things. Yeah, because they're 
Hmm. Uh, controversial. Let's keep it at that. <laughs> yeah, but that's wrong. <laughs> yes. They really are wrong. really wrong. Hmm. And this actually concludes our show. So mm-hmm. thank you to our listeners for listening. <laughs> and thank you, Pontus, for being on the show with me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, but I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. This week's quote is by Adam Smith, Scottish economist and philosopher. He lived mm-hmm. from 1723 to 1790. And the quote is, as goes... The learned ignore the evidence of their senses to preserve the coherence of the ideas of their imagination. Wow, I didn't know he was a mm-hmm. skeptic. Yeah? That sounds pretty we, skeptical. <laughs> yeah, as a finance guy, of course, I read a lot about mm-hmm. Adam Smith in uh, my education. Also, I think in lower education, his name yeah. is mentioned quite a lot. But I didn't know mm-hmm. that he talked about things like that. So it's good. So the essence of it is try to. Uh, I understood it in a way that that your senses can tell you that there's a poltergeist, but mm-hmm, you know yeah. that there's no poltergeist. <laughs> and uh, oh, the other thing I understood about that, or like I thought about, is that there are things that you can't see, but they are definitely there, like a consciousness, for example. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Good. So, yeah, that was my take on that. <laughs> but I would be interested to hear about other takes on that quote. So if you have any interesting takes on that quote or just want to contact us, you can do that via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or email. Smoke signals. <laughs> Smoke signals, yeah, the two Morse code, Telegram. No, but what you can do is write us an email to info at the ASP.eu. But with that, I would like to really finish this show now. So thank you, Pontus. Thanks a lot. And until next week, goodbye. Hey, do. Tschüss. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe By giving an extra polio dose vaccine Sorry <laughs> Sorry, I forgot his name <laughs> Should <laughs> Sorry, I'll just get the name <laughs> <laughs> Got a little visitor <laughs> Hello Scotty will take her in a bit again. <laughs> She's playing oh. hide and seek with you. <laughs> we, we, okay, so for listeners, we are playing now hide and seek. Luna on the other side, she hides behind 
the side of the camera and I'm doing the same thing and we're having a great time. <laughs> I think I'm enjoying it more than she does. <laughs> That's good. Can you say that again and take a pause? Oh, so, so. I always do that. Always do that. <laughs> yeah.